All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Awesome. I, I like that. I heard one person back there, but I, I don't know who it was. So we're having a good time today. I, I'm blessed to be here with you every week. We get to come together. I feel like it blows my mind every week that I get to do this, that I get to stand up here and that you guys show up every week and we just say yes to God. I think that's a big deal, right? Sometimes we can say, well, we'll see what happens. But I'm saying yes to God over and over and over again. If you weren't here for a second anniversary, I'll just tell you right now that we... It's like mind-blowing that we're here for two years already, but if I look back, actually, Junior this morning said, Pastor Sean, we're officially today, we're two-year anniversary Facebook friends. And so, that, like, the fact that we've been doing this together for two years, I think back across all the things that have happened in two years, it's, like, incredible. Over and over and over again, we saw God show up, miracle signs, wonders, God's doing things, lives are being changed, and if that, if you're new, I'll just say get ready, because... God's here, his presence is here, and what is so amazing about this place is that we get to do life together. Amen. We get to, it's a journey of faith, right? We get to do that and go on that journey of faith together. Then today we're starting a brand new series called Relationship Goals. It should be called Hashtag Relationship Goals because I think that kind of strikes right to the point of what this is about and, and what brought this message about. So we're just going to dive in. I want to... Uh, I want you to kind of think about your life and 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 know this. It's not just oh we have we have a uh, out of towner right here on the third fourth row. Katie, <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, listen, you might think, uh oh, I got here during a marriage message. This is this is certainly that's a big part of the conversation. But like everything we do, you know this that the church is called relate. Like God made us to fit together, to relate to each other, to to not do life alone. And so everything that we're going to talk about today, there's no, there's no points that are specific for, for, for married people. Now, obviously, we're talking about things that only married people should do. And I'll just leave that there, right? We're not going to talk a lot about that. But, right, context is everything. But you have to know this, that God cares about your marriage, about your marriage because he made marriage. He ordained it, created Adam and Eve. And we're going to read that verse in just a second whenever he says that man shouldn't be living alone. So he made Eve, right? But know this, that God also cares just about, he cares just as much about every relationship that you have. God cares about the relationship you have with your parents, your boss, your employees, your friends, your family, your neighbors. Like God cares how we relate to each other. And he's made a way. He's made a, like a design on those things. And if we'll do it his way, it works. And so today, uh, as a part, as, as the really the first part of a four-part series, there are some cool things that are going to happen during this series that might surprise you, but um, to start with, I think we have to start at square one. And like, if we're going to build relationship goals, what where does that start? And so, first we'll start with the verse. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, I thought it was really awesome. I was having a conversation with someone out in the hall, and they were saying, you know what, Pastor, I just started reading my Bible, and I started at the beginning, and it was, like, amazing that when you got to those verses, it, like, fit in context. It was different than I've ever heard you preach before, because now, when you say the scripture, it's like, I read that scripture. <laughs> Moral of the story is, read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible. It makes, it makes more sense when we have context, right? Whenever you're just not getting that one little sneak peek and that one little window into one verse or one passage, you know what came before. You know, you know why it's there. So we'll start with uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, he had already created Adam. He built the Garden of Eden. And now 
animals, plants, and all of creation, Adam is there in the garden, and God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper who is just right for him. So we'll just stop right there, although I feel like every time I read a verse, I want to stop and, and just like unpack it, but we're just going to do this right here. Wherever you are, whatever relationships are around you in life, God has a purpose for those relationships. God has a husband and a wife that, that is right for you. It's not good for you to be alone. That, we push small groups like crazy, not because I need you to come to the small group that I'm hosting. No, I need, we need each other. We're supposed to be fit together to do life together. Whether that's with a husband or a wife, we're not supposed to be alone. So let me say this. If you feel isolated and lonely and brokenhearted, that's not God's plan for you. That's, well, let's put it this way. That's not the end of the story. But you have to go to the next chapter and let God connect you to the right people, whether that's a husband, a wife, a friend, somebody, a godly friend, a godly spouse. You have to get to a place where you can have those God-ordained relationships. Let's keep reading. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. I can only imagine that Adam's in the garden and he sees all this creation happening and one after another, God's making animals. And oh, what an amazing animal that is, God. That will be so useful, but all along Adam's thinking, wait a second, I'm alone here. And isn't it true that you can live life with, with creation all around you, with creativity around you, with like miracles happening all around you, and when you're alone, it doesn't even make sense. It can lose all of its purpose whenever you feel like, God, why do I need all of this if I have to be alone and isolated? God didn't make you to live life lonely. That's really the church is meant to be the answer to that. Not only are we the, we're the body of Christ, we're supposed to be his hands and feet, but we're supposed to be together doing it. And so Adam says, I think what any of us guys would say, when finally there's someone Someone for my life. He says, at last. The man explained, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. In other words, finally I have somebody for me. A part of creation that fits with me. And that's, that is, I think, the perfect relationship goal. To have that person that that God fit to me, that made for me. It goes on, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. The Bible says that now you have two, if you've ever been to a marriage, been married, maybe you did the, uh, the unity candle, right? There's two flames and the two flames come together and then, you, then there's, not, there's not two flames, it's just one flame. That's marriage. That's when we come together, but there are things that we do that keeps us that tries to separate that flame out again. So real quick, what is, hashtag relationship goals. How many of you have ever been on social media or Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and then you see hashtag relationship goals, and then you just have that feeling like, man, I wish my relationships could be that way. It doesn't even have to be a husband or wife. It could be, man, I wish my mom and I were had that kind of relationship. I wish my, my dad and I had that kind of relationship, or I wish I had some friends like that. 
I wish I had a wife like that. I wish we could have that moment. So I took a couple of examples that I could show you. Maybe you've seen them before. The first one is like, we're walking on top of a mountain and just, we just snap a quick picture and listen, I'm just going to tell you right now that relate, hashtag relationship goals, this picture didn't happen very easy. Like this picture is not real. This picture was set up from the beginning because not only is she leaning over the cliff there looks like and on top on top of the clouds, but they just happen to have this perfect little uh, twinkly lights wrapped around their arms. They didn't just stumble upon that moment and let me pull out my camera and take a picture while you hang out over. That didn't just happen by accident. <laughs> I feel like. Angela and I, when we take it, she says, hey, this is a perfect moment. Let's take a picture. I just kind of like, inside, I don't say it outside, I just kind of groan. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> because you and I both know it's not going to be one picture. It's going to be like 16 pictures, and maybe one of those will work. Otherwise, it's just going to be, all of a sudden, it's not a beautiful moment anymore. It's this frustrating thing, and none of these work, and I look terrible, and forget about it. <laughs> It's because this moment, this feeling that we're trying to chase, that we're trying to create and trying to, I want that. I want that in my life. What does that even mean? What does it mean? Or maybe it's the, the couples that we've all grown up with, right? You got uh, Rachel and Ross, Pam and Jim. You got people who you get familiar with on TV. Like, I want what they have. I want my marriage, my relationships, I want my, uh, I want it to be like that. I want it to feel like that, but I can tell you, that's not real. That took thousands of hours, <laughs> and screenwriters, and people getting just the right shots to create just the right atmosphere, and we think, oh, it's so easy, they can do it, I can do it. Like, if I, like that's, what, that's what I need in my life. The question is, what is that? So with that said, I'll say this. I looked for a couple that, okay, let's get more real. Like, what is real and not fake? So I found a couple of those yeah. two. This one right here is like, that wasn't set up. That happened just like that in the parking lot of Walmart, probably. It's just boom. <laughs> that's, that's what real relationships look like. And so we have these standards or these, these ideas, these feelings that we're chasing. I got one more for you because this one's really probably some of you in the room. This is you right here with you and your wife. Just... <laughs> We've had people uh, come to Angela and I and say, we just, we just, we want to have what you guys have. We want to have the kind of faith that you guys have. And I can tell you this: that everything we put on Facebook, like you can go on our on our Facebook, our family's Facebook page, on her Facebook, my Facebook, and look and see our family pictures of us, pictures of the kids, pictures of the dog. Like I can tell you this: that the dog is never as cute as those moments. And sometimes, okay, I stepped into the room. I'm just gonna back up and pretend like we didn't. Anything against Harvey, but listen, everything that goes on Facebook is like, it, it's, I'm not going to say it's fake, but we don't put any of the bad stuff, so it feels, it feels unbalanced because we put all the great stuff. I have pastor friends say, man, you guys are killing it. I wish we could be like you guys. I'm like, uh, you have no idea. We only put the wins online, so it looks like it's amazing, but you don't see the, the struggle. You don't see the battles. You don't see the, the, the battles won. Because all we do is say, praise God, they, we won. We don't put the tears and the blood and the sweat on Facebook. And so we have these images that are, they're not fake. 
but they're not absolutely real because it's an unbalanced image and a feeling that we're chasing and we're not, we don't have a, a, a great perspective on what real relationship goals should look like. Angela and I have a great relationship. We serve God together. We, I, I trust her. She trusts me completely and we can talk about anything. There are great parts of our relationship. We can goof off together and we can, uh, I feel like she, every day she makes me a better person. We have faith together. We, we can pray together. We can have big dreams together. We get to do this together. In fact, she tells me sometimes, well, occasionally we'll be able to get together for lunch and she'll say, you know what? I, I couldn't wait to have lunch with you today. That makes me feel great. And before some of you guys start, your eyes roll in the back of your head, you start gagging because, oh, you guys have such a perfect relationship. Thank you. Let's talk about something else. Listen, there are parts of our relationship that you don't know. So even if you said, Pastor Sean, we just want to have a relationship like you guys, you don't see the whole picture because real life looks different than what happens on Facebook. We have, we fight, we argue, we, we disagree. We have, we have our own battles. I can tell you this, that loving relationships are a journey. It's not a destination. It's not like if I could just get that feeling, if I could just arrive at that relationship. We, miss, we have miscommunications. We have painful misunderstandings where we, we can fight about it, last for, seems like forever, and hurt feelings, and intense conversations, quote-unquote. Intense conversations means fights. That, that happens. We yell, we've slammed doors, we've thrown things, we've gritted our teeth, and I've said, I'm going to show her, teach her to talk to me that way. I remember one time we were on the street driving, arguing, I turned up the radios so that I couldn't hear what she was saying to me over there. I turned it up so loud, that was her cue to just stop like she got out of the car. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she walked right over into Walmart, and then I had to make a decision. I'm going to make her pay, and she's going to have to call me to come get her. Or if I just go over there, she wins. Right? So we have we have that sometimes. Everybody does. Everybody argues. that We don't have a perfect relationship. We're not perfect people. We're broken people that are on a journey of faith. Trying to say yes to God. Trying to do that together. I used to think that the goal in our marriage was that we would think alike or that she would think like me or that she would submit to me or that she would like all those dynamics. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's really the truth. I think that the goal of marriage is not to think alike, but to think together. Like that we can be on the same path, the same plan, be in unison. The Bible says that the disciples were in one accord. That's, that's where we need to be. That's, that's the relationship goal that we should have. You don't have to think exactly like me. In fact, I've found out there are so many differences between us. I've given up on trying to make them the same. I'm just like, hey, we're opposites attract. We're so different, we're never going to be the same. And I don't want us to be the same. I don't want to be married to myself. And yet we point our finger and try to force people to do like us. We can celebrate the differences. First Peter 3, 7 says this in the same way. And I'll just tell you that this is a verse. That's got a lot of power packed, packed into it. Watch this. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. And wives, you, you, it's okay to elbow him and say, see, you have to give honor to me. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. 
Like, I think this is true for any relationship, that we have to give honor, we have to respect people, that we have to feed the relationship that we want to grow. But here's where here's where it gets even stronger. She may be weaker than you, and some of you ladies are saying, I ain't weak. Some of you guys are saying, she's not weak. Maybe physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Amen. Like, until we start seeing each other as equal partners going on this journey of faith, treat her as you should so you're, okay, watch this. Here's a, here's a, a secret right here. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. You see how physical things, like, affect spiritual things. And you're, the, the, the prayers that you pray to God can be stopped. It's almost like, I have prayers I need to send to God, like sending the mail out, but someone's out there stealing your mail. It's because you guys can't get along. It's because you're not honoring her. It's because you don't see her as your equal in this journey of faith. Or vice versa. Sometimes the answer might... Strife just pops up. It's like we have peace and then all of a sudden one little disagreement that's just like we disagree and then all of a sudden, boom, we're back into an argument that happened a month ago. And we're bringing up like you never, like or you always do this. Or like we, we, we rehash the old things and watch in the same way that strife hinders our prayers. Watch this in Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9. Whoever forgives an offense seeks love, but whoever keeps... Bringing up the issues separates the closest of friends. If you keep bringing up the, if you're not able to forgive, back Jesus said in the book of Mark, if you can't forgive others, if you can't let it go, then God can't forgive you. And I'm not just saying, hey, that was a terrible thing, forget about it. No, there's, there's, there's this power to forgive that God gives us. I can't, I, I promise you, I can't forgive some of the things that have happened to me on my own power. But when I give it to God and say, okay, God, it's impossible for me to forgive this. this. This is hard. This is terrible. This is painful. This is gut-wrenching. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's, he helps me to forgive. And it might not happen like that. It might, might take time. Right now, we started a small group right now. There are 47 people enrolled in. We had to make three of them. It's called freedom. And over the course of 13 weeks, 47 people are walking through this process of helping to find, helping, reaching out for God to help us find forgiveness and let go of the things in the past, like settle yesterday. It's such a powerful small group, but it's, it is closed. So if, you, if you're interested in that, you got to wait until we start again in the fall. But there has to be a process where you start to clean up yesterday so you can walk into tomorrow. And that all starts with this. And this is really the crux of this message. And that is that our relationship, our biggest relationship goal has to be that it's Christ-centered. And that's not just marriage. That's if I can make my relationship with my parents Christ-centered, that changes everything. If I can make my relationship with my kids Christ-centered, that changes everything. Too often it's easy to remember, hey, uh, the, the unity candle, we're married, like we have to put Christ right in the center, or the three-corded three uh, braid is not easily broken, right? So one is my wife, one is me, and the third one is Christ. And if we can stay together, that can't be broken. But when it comes to my relationship with my employer, my boss, my employees, friends, family, aunts, uncles, I don't think about Christ being in the center of those relationships. But if we would, how much stronger would that be? 
So here's a fair question. Here, here's the question that we'll start, that we'll just launch into, and that is, what does it mean to be Christ-centered? What does it mean to have a Christ-centered relationship? I'll tell you this, your, your life and every relationship that you have is centered around something. You have something at the center of your life. You have something at the center of your marriage. You have something at the center of the relationships that you have with everyone around you. And if it's not Christ, you have to think about where that's taking you. So in your notes, there's a little chart. And I'm going to show it on the screen. But your life is centered around something. And the question is, what is that thing? Because whatever that is, Whatever it is that your life is centered around, it affects, first off, it affects what your values, your core values, kind of what makes you who you are. Like, if I actually truly believe that Christ is the center of my relationship, then I believe whatever he says is true about my life, and then my beliefs are changed. If it's not centered around Christ, then I don't believe what the Bible says about me, then it's something else. But it starts with my, with my values and my beliefs. And my values and beliefs change how I act and, how, and the decisions I make on a daily basis. The things I choose to do. If I believe a certain way, then I'm going to act a certain way. And if Christ is at the center of that, then my actions and my daily decisions are going somewhere. And all of that leads down ultimately to how I impact the world, how I influence people around me. The mark or the legacy that I leave on this world, if Christ is at the center, that impact and that, that influence that I have on people will be a certain way. If not, it'll be something different. So the question remains, what is at the center of your life? What's at the center of your relationship with your husband or your wife? It's a good question, but it's sometimes hard to answer. Sometimes we want to say, well, if you could just look at all my life, tell me what's at the center. It's not that easy. You can answer it though. If it's your, if sometimes our life can be centered around self, and if life, if my life is centered around myself, not only myself centered, but how can my relationship with my wife grow if our relationship is built around myself? Same goes for my kids. How can how how can I raise kids if my relationship with them is based on myself? Is based on me? It's self centered. Who are they going to be when they grow up? And Maybe, maybe your relationship is centered around your kids. And that actually sounds good until you really dig into it, and then you realize this is really scary. Because if, if, if my relationship, even with my kids, is based and centered around my kids, then what happens when they grow up? You know who their life's going to be centered around? Them. Because the whole time they've grown up, it's been centered around them. And now they've grown up and, oh, it is all about me. That's scary. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe, maybe your lifestyle and the things that you participate in, the things that you become accustomed to. I'm not joking. I was at the doctor's office this week, and I literally, preparing for this message and thinking, I literally heard people sitting right next to me having a conversation. Oh, do you want kids? They kind of met up after a long time and not seeing each other. And, oh, we're thinking about having kids. And conversation went on and on and on and on and on again. But one of the ladies said, yeah, we... We really would love to have kids, and we've been talking and planning about it, but we just have really expensive habits. And so that kind of closed the door to, we just can't do that right now because, like, and I started thinking, like, what if, what if I knew that's where my parents' mind was, that they, that they valued 
their lifestyle and their expensive habits over me? Or what if my kids felt that way? And here's the truth. Your kids know what your life is centered around. You don't have to tell them. They know. Your wife knows what is the center of your life and the center of your relationship. It might be things that you've been fighting over. Your husband knows what is at the center of your relationship. But when it's Christ, when we put Christ at the very center of that relationship, things change. So I want to talk for just a second to those people who aren't married. Specifically, like, one day you want to get married. You have relationship goals. And I just want to dispel a myth. Here it is. Something that I hear all the time. I'm just waiting for the one. Looking for the one. Or you go on a date and all of a sudden this might be the one. Or such and such happened during the date. I thought, this might be the one. <laughs> right? I think there's a problem with that. Because here's the problem. Because there is no one that can fulfill your life. In fact, we talk about this God-shaped hole in my heart. And only God can fill that hole. The truth is, there's no one that God is sending you. If God just sent me the one. Truth is, God is the one. There's nobody who can fulfill you like Jesus can. And as long as you're looking for that person like Adam and Eve, God made and brought Eve to Adam and said, here, I made someone for you. It's not, not good for you to be alone, but Adam already had a relationship with God. Your one is God. Jesus is your one and your spouse, get ready for it, is two. We have to shift our mind because inevitably what happens, if you're looking for that one, you finally, this might be the one. Let's get married. Let's, let's have children. Let's build a home and build a house. And what happens is you get into that situation. You arrive at that destiny and realize, this ain't the one. This person does not fulfill me like I thought they would. Like I thought we had it all planned out. And now five years into your marriage, ten years into your marriage, you start realizing now the relationship has shifted. They're not the one. And now you're just there for the kids. But the plan is this, that if you want a Christ-centered relationship, if you're deciding, okay, I need a Christ-centered relationship, then you have to start doing it right now. Even if you don't have a, a relationship, you don't have a marriage, you don't, you're not, you have to start building it today. Because like if, if I go out to my yard, my backyard and plant a, a tree, that, that tree is going to sprout up out of the ground with enough nutrients and sunshine and water and it'll start to grow. But when it starts to lose those things, it starts to shrivel up. Too often people come to Angela and I, they come and say, Pastor, our marriage is really suffering. We've tried everything, and uh, can you counsel us? Can, can you help us with our marriage? And my answer is this. The best help for your marriage is to not come when it's almost dead and try to give it to God. you got to bring it to God before it's dead. <laughs> like when you plan it, or once, once it's up and going and things are going in the right direction, you give that relationship to God and put Christ at the center, and now you're building something that will thrive and grow. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 says this, Teacher, which is, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with what? All, all your heart. And with what? All, all your soul and all. all of your mind. That's like number one. Jesus said, He has to be first. He has to be the one. That puts any spouse, husband, wife, love of my life, 
as much as I love Angela, she's two. And as much as she loves me, I'm two. And as long as I'm two and she's two and he's one, we can grow. And we can be healthy and we can be strong. But the minute I make her one, it starts to get unbalanced because she can never fulfill me like one can. So you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not married yet. I'll just wait and uh, then I'll put God first and then we'll put God first. No, you got to start right now. Because you might think, well, I'll clean myself up later and I'll get, I'll start to get involved later. Again, you're trying to bring something that's not done, that's broken or that's wilted, that's shriveled up and say, okay, God. Now, I will say this. God can take any marriage. God, I believe in the absolute reconciliation power of, of Jesus Christ. No matter where you're at in your relationship, you can already have gone through and signed divorce papers and be done, and God can still restore your marriage. Because, let's face it, he's in the business of bringing dead things back to life. But how much better is it whenever we give him things that are alive? And then he brings them more life. You don't build a future life of righteousness on a foundation of sin today. You can't say, well, we'll get it right one day. No, just start today. That's the biggest difference between calling yourself a Christian and actually being Christ-centered. Because you can be a you can say, well, I, I didn't grow up in a Muslim country. I didn't grow up in a, this country or that country or this community or that. We go to church, and that's just who we are. There's a big difference between that, calling yourself a Christian, and actually living a, a Christ-centered life. Amen. Because now, whenever you put Christ at the center, it affects uh, your beliefs, your core values. It affects your actions. It starts to affect how you influence people and your mark that you're leaving on the world. So here's a practical step, and I'll close with this. Practical. How do you actually do this? What are some steps you can take? And I can tell you this. I can give you 10. I can give you 20. But the very, I can give you three. Three big ones. I'll just pick the top three, but the likelihood of you doing any of those three are actually looks something like this. You walk out the door. You took vigorous notes. You wrote down all these things. Step one, step two, do this, do this. And then as soon as you get out the door, you look, you think, okay, what was step one again? It was like something. They all started with an R or a P or a T or like that's how sermons work, right? You don't always catch all the points. So rather than me giving you three or ten or a hundred, I'm going to give you one practical step, one thing to do. And all you got to do is do that one thing. And as soon as I say it, you're going to say, oh, can't do that. <laughs> so, but I promise you, you can. I felt the same way that I did it. You can do it. I did it. All you have to do, and the only thing I'm going to ask you to do, now I'm just dragging it out so that whatever I do say, it hits you even harder. <laughs> I want you to pray together every day. I want you to pray together every day. And you might think, well, Pastor, that's like too intimate. That's too personal. That's like my own personal. Like that should be between me and God. And like, listen, God sees you as one, two as one. And if you think it's too intimate, I'll tell you this, that most of you that are married, you probably go to the bathroom in front of each other. You probably... <laughs> Do all kinds of things that would make everybody else blush, right? 
swapping spit and kissing and having babies and all those intimate things. Like, let's face it, we do intimate things together. But when it comes to, like, the intimate spirituality in our faith, it's like, nah, <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I live that life. I was a youth pastor, like, praying in front of people. The only way I could pray for our family was, like, giving a pastor prayer. All right, everybody, get it. grab hands. Let, let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just like, here's the deal. You don't have to pray like that. It can be your own words. Simple. Just doesn't have to be hard. And it might be awkward. For, it's like riding a bike, right? You don't feel like, oh, this is so natural. The first time you get on a bike, it feels very unnatural. But then once you do it a couple times, you get that confidence like, oh, man, I can do this. And then you're jumping off stuff and like standing up on the handlebars and stuff. Maybe not you, that was me. <laughs> like we get confidence in practice. We get used to it, get comfortable. So all I'm asking you to do is just commit to it. Try it for 30 days. In fact, I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. Pray with your wife every day for 30 days, and if it doesn't work, and if at the end of 30 days you can't, you, you just say, no, this ain't working for us, I can't do it, I'll give you all your money back. <laughs> it didn't cost you anything. No, but seriously, you can pray together. You can do it. I found an article. The, the title of the article is Couples That Pray Together Stay Together. We, I've, I've been hearing that my whole life. But this article was in Psychology Today, so not like your Christian bookstore. It says, is there such a thing as a match made in heaven? Research appears to say yes. In pursuit of a healthy, happy relationship, sure. It's important to have compatibility, respect, and mutual attraction. But there's something even more important. Research validates the power of prayer, demonstrating that it increases relational commitment and satisfaction and decreases infidelity, proving that faith promotes faithfulness. That's not proof of anything to me, because I know what the Bible says. I know that I know what God says I can't do. And if I can do it, you can do it. So I'm going to give you some, some practical steps. I know it feels awkward and exposed to step out and say, that's just not me, Pastor. I don't pray for my family. Can I just talk to the guys for a second? The Bible says that we are like the priests of our home. Like, ultimately, and when I look at my family, my wife and my kids and the life, the, like, the, the good or bad that happens, the buck stops here. I'm responsible for what happens in my house as the, the priest or the, the, the head of my household. And I know it's not very politically correct for us to talk about, well, who's the head? Who wears the pants in the family? That's not what I'm talking about. We're supposed to be equal in this journey, in this gift of life that he's given us. We should see each other as equal, but I'm responsible for what goes on in my family. And I should be able to step up, and you guys, you should be able to step up and say, okay, let's pray. Like, even in the midst of an argument, it will shock your wife. Now listen, let me just preface this whole thing. If you are arguing and you are fighting and you say, let's pray. In the name of Jesus, Lord, touch her and make her like, that's not the right prayer. In fact, you, you'd be in real big trouble. And don't say I told you to do that. Pastor Sean told me to pray for you, so I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, laying on of hands. Let's not even go there. I'm going to ask my wife to step up on stage with me for just a second. 
And while she's coming up here, I want to give you really quick three practical, like how do you pray? Here's how you do it. How do you do it? The first is to keep it short. Like you might think, well, I, I need to pray for an hour with my wife. Or I need my husband to pray with me for one hour if we can just pray like Jesus said. Can you not tarry one hour? But I'll tell you this, make it 60 seconds. Like start with something. Every day for 30 days, let's pray together. If you can take your wife and say, hey, let's pray. Keep it short. Maybe it's 30 seconds. You're not gonna get you're never gonna get to an hour if you can't do 30 seconds. Just say a quick prayer. And it doesn't have to be in the King James Version. It doesn't have to be some uh, complicated language where you're just saying just the right magical words so that God will answer your prayer. No, that's not how it works. You just say something from your heart. And that might be as simple as, God, I don't even have the words to say, but we're in a tough situation. Please help us. Amen. That's a prayer, guys. That's a prayer that God can hear. You know why? It's because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. When we cry out to him, he hears us. And how much more if we're in unity? Number two, no, don't just keep it short. Keep it consistent. Like you should pray at the same time. Figure out a time when you pray. We pray all the time. Like we'll just be driving. I'll say, let's pray. If she's saying, if she's telling me a problem, like, you know what, we really got an issue, so-and-so is dealing with this and this, I'll just say, let's pray. Be that guy. Be that, be that lady that says, hey, let's pray about it. Would you pray for us? 30 seconds. There, there shouldn't be any condemnation or shame on, oh, you call that a prayer, I'll show you. Like, don't, don't, don't show up each other on your prayers. That happens sometimes. We get competitive with, like, I will show them how cultured I am with my prayer. How much God loves me because my prayers are fancy. That's not how it works. Just say a prayer from your own, your own heart, right? So keep it consistent. Do it at the same times. And number three is to keep us on track. If you miss a day, don't miss two. Decide we're going to pray together. We're going to be a a family that prays together. We're going to be a marriage that prays together. That's not all the points. That's the point. Let's pray together. So, would you guys read this prayer with me? This is just an example. I'm not going to put this up here so you can read this prayer every day. The disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray, Jesus? And Jesus gave them the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Like, he didn't give, he gave them a model for prayer. He didn't give them, like, say these exact words and I'll hear you. He said, say, say this prayer, a model for prayer. So that's that's kind of what this is. Dear God, that's our Father who art in heaven. Give us wisdom and clear direction. Would you, would you just, let, I'm going to start over. You guys read this with me. Let's pray it together. It's just that simple. Dear God, give us wisdom and clear direction in all we do. Help us to show your love to each other and to shine your light into the world. Keep us close to you. And always in your will, in Jesus' name, amen. It's very simple. It's not always easy because we have to get over ourselves. But we can do it. I remember whenever I was about 8 or 10 years old that my mom would pray with my brother and I. We would pray for our future spouse. Like, okay, okay, boys. I want you to pray for the person that God's preparing to be your wife. Not, not your one. We didn't know that then. 
you start praying for them. It wasn't until after we were dating for a long time that she let me know that all growing up her and her parents were praying for me too. If you're not married, I would challenge you to start praying for those people. If, you're, if it's not a marriage, if you're, if you're living a life where you feel lonely and isolated, you need to start praying. Not, God, how, why did you make my life so terrible? Like, not, God, why are all the people around me so stupid? Like, that's not the prayer to pray. The prayer is, God, help me. God, I ask you to bless the people that you're sending into my life. Start praying blessing over them. Again, this is, not, this is not a perfect marriage. I don't think you have a perfect marriage. I, I think that we're broken people on a journey of faith. So I want to pray for you as we close. And I want to pray for God to help us to walk in Christ-centered relationships. Would you agree with me? Father God, we just ask you right now. And we, we ask you to, to look down on our relationships as we begin to arrange priorities and put things in order and that you might look at us and approve of how we're, how we're putting you first and putting Christ at the very center of every single relationship, every marriage, every husband, every wife. Lord, we put you first. Help us to commit to pray for each other. Help us to, to make the decision, dedicate ourselves to being Christ-centered in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're in the room or you're watching online and you, you recognize that your life is not Christ-centered, you recognize that you're not where you ought to be, that you feel far away from God and you don't, you don't want to live another day like that, I want to give you an opportunity for us to say a prayer and you, you just invite Jesus to be the very center of your life. So would you do this for me? Every person in the room, every head bowed, every eyes closed, no, nobody looking around. Those of you who are watching online, if you, if you are sitting here and your life is not centered in Christ, but today you, you just want to be closer to Christ. You want to put him in the middle. You want to reorganize and invite him to be the Lord of your life. If that's you and nobody's looking around, I want you to just raise your hand up and say, that's me. I want my life to be more Christ-centered. I want to be closer to him, and I want to give my life to him today. Nobody's looking around, and the hands are going up all over the room. I'm going to give you one more chance. If that's you and you want to be included in that prayer, would you just raise your hand up and slip it up and, and just write back down. Wow, awesome. Hands everywhere. Would you repeat these words after me? Everybody, nobody praying alone. Would you repeat these words after me? Dear Heavenly Father, today I put you first. I want you to be at the center of my life. I want you to be at the center of every relationship. So I invite you into the center. I invite you into my heart. Come and take control. Make me new. Forgive me of my sin. And make me whole. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.